No, it's, it's just a, an idea that we want to pass along the most important things, and we're shaping those in our lives. We're shaping, especially if you have children or you're a mentor to somebody, you're helping shape their life. And so that uh, tongue-in-cheek, it, it goes with this idea that we're being reshaped in the image of Jesus Christ, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us, that He is forming us into Christ's likeness, but we have a part in that, that it's always participation. It's we give ourselves to it. We surrender to God's work in our lives, and we partner with Him with what He wants to do in us. And last week, uh, we, we saw that it's not a question if we're being imprinted by the world around us. That's, that's not the question, because we are. All, all around us, we're being shaped and pressed upon by the culture around us, and even if we push back against it, we're resisting against something, right? It's, it's shaping against us. And by that, I just mean that if you grew up in, some, in an environment that you didn't like, and then you decided, well, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it differently than my parents. Or I'm going to do it differently than my siblings. You're pushing against that, and it's shaping your life opposite of what it is that was influencing you. And so it's important that we go, okay, do I want to just not be something? Or what is it that God really wants me to be? How does He want me to be shaped? How does He want to form my life. And so we raise this question, am I putting on display the reshaping of Jesus Christ's influence upon my life, or am I displaying only the collection of other influences on my life? What do people see in me? If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, what do they see in my life? Is it just my upbringing? Is it the cultural influences around me? Those certainly have an image that's being born out of my life, but more than that, are they able to see Jesus' influence through all of that? Are they able to see the redemptive purposes of God in my life as I'm surrendered to Him? And so we looked at uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let me read this real quick just from the message paraphrase because I think it really states clearly what our goal is as followers of Christ, not to just be shaped by the culture, but to be reshaped in Christ. Here's what Paul says to the Romans. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even uh, thinking, and, thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognizing what He wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-informed maturity in you. So I, I love that. I love that portion where it just says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God so you can be changed from the inside out. Right? It's such a good picture of God's work in us. What he's trying to accomplish is don't allow yourself just unthinkingly, unknowingly, just be pressed by the culture and just kind of be shaped by that, but but be attentive to what's happening in your life. So the question we asked is, what's the source of what I'm thinking? What's the source of what I'm saying? What's the source of what I'm doing? Am I just repeating taglines that I'm hearing from all these other places, all these other sources, or am I taking it in and I'm surrendering it before God and I'm saying, Lord, is this what you would say or is this just me repeating what the culture around me is saying? Is this just repeating what my parents or my siblings said? Is this just repeating what my 
friends around me are saying? Am I just kind of a, a voice and a conduit for all of my surroundings, or am I a voice and a conduit for your Holy Spirit's work into the culture around me? So our response to that question is, is terribly important because it tells us how deep our discipleship in Jesus is going. How deep has Christ worked into every aspect of your life so that then you can reflect Him instead of just what's happening around you? Are you being transformed to the image of Christ or are we being pressed into the mold of the world around us? Now, here's the good news. The reason the series is reshaped is because we can all change. We can all change. Amen. Yeah, that's an important reality is that God created us. He created our minds. He created our bodies. He created us and He gives us new life in Christ and we can change. The saying is you, can teach an old, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? That's the say. You, you can't. If you, gotta, if you get an old dog and you, let's try and do something else, it's like, no, you can't do that because uh, your dog's already learned the pattern. It knows what to expect. And I, you know, honestly, I don't know about dogs. I don't know if that's true of dogs. But you can teach an old person new tricks. You can, you can be taught, regardless of how many years advanced you are, you can be taught something new. We can learn and relearn and learn new things. It's the process of starting new pathways in our mind. In fact, the, the more they do brain research, it's, it's just amazing. It's, it's so fascinating how you and I learn. It's, they, they call them neural pathways, and it's the way that you think of something. The more you do the same thing over and over and make a habit of it, that's actually happening in your brain as well. Now, Mark and Robin at their house that they lived on off of 30 Road over in that area, they had, they had two dogs. Now, these two dogs, they would, they would run from the porch, the back porch, the back patio, around to this fence area. And what would happen, you can imagine, is they wouldn't run different pathways each time. They would, what, run the same path every time. Any of you have a pet that does that? And what happens? They wear down the grass. You know exactly where they go each time because they follow that same pathway. And so if that's a good visual for you, maybe it helps you picture it, but your mind does the same thing. It begins to wear this path to think the same way about something each time. But listen, you can actually make new pathways. (laughs) Unlike those dogs who are just, you know, habitually doing the same thing, carving out a path into the grass that... You know, they they pursue the same direction each time. You and I can think something new. And the more we start thinking something new, it carves out a different way to go. And so God understands us about this, uh, about us. And I love that because it means that we can, we use the religious word, the Bible word, repent. We can change. Every one of us can change. Every one of us can think of something in different ways. Repent, we always associate it with sin. That, well, you need to repent, and that's, that is something that needs to happen when we sin, is we need to change. We need to do something different than what we've been doing. But it can also refer to a way in which we relate to others or we relate to God. Even if it's not sin, there are things that we could repent of or change the way that we relate to God and the way that we grow. So this is critical. This is really critical for our transformation in, in our Christ-likeness because of those who have learned patterns of living— before you came to Christ, you could say, well, I, I've been ruined. I was abused as a child, and so I learned this way of relating, I, I, uh, and I'm, I'm broken. 
and so there's no hope for me. That, that is not a reality in the kingdom of God. That is not a reality in the way that God works in our lives. He is a restorer, and there is hope in the kingdom of God. So whatever pathways we learned, or however we were imprinted before coming to Christ, we can learn new ways. Now, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy and it just happens automatically. Sometimes, miraculously, there's intervention in our life. God intervenes and breaks something in our life that has existed for years and years, and, and we just change on the spot. But other times, it's this deep work of discipleship, of following Jesus Christ, going into His Word, receiving from His Spirit, and we begin to see transformation into the image of Jesus Christ. And so, before you came to Christ, if you had a way of relating or understanding God or a way of living life, that can change because of the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you, that can change. Even if you've been a follower of Christ for 20, 30, even 70 years, you've been a, a long, long-time, lifelong follower of Christ, just because you've known Him doesn't mean that you see and understand everything there is to know about Him. And so, you can still change. You can still disciple, and you can still learn from the Word. You can still receive from His Spirit. So, you don't have to just keep doing the same things over and over. Even though you've known Him doesn't mean that you understand everything perfectly and you live everything out perfectly. It means there's still opportunity for you to change as well. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a story where Jesus, out of John chapter 4, where Jesus speaks to a Samaritan woman, and, and it's one of my, I think I say this every Sunday, don't I? It's one of my favorite stories from the New Testament. But Jesus is such a master at taking old teachings, he takes an old teaching, he presents it in a new way. And so what they think they're about to hear, his listeners think they're going to, he's going to say, he says things like, you have heard it said, and then he gives them the old teaching, but I tell you. And in this message this morning, in the portion of John 4 that we're going to read, he does a similar thing. He doesn't say it that way, but he takes an old saying that they would be familiar with, and he turns it on its head. And so let's pray as we come to the Word of God this morning and invite the Holy Spirit to shape us, because it really does take our willingness to say, Lord, we don't have it all together. We're still being shaped and transformed by you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the best possible teacher. I yield myself to you and I pray that you would go beyond even the words that I use to cause the scripture that we read this morning to come alive. That you would help us to see you in the Word, and you'd help us to see transformation, how it happens in our own lives. So we receive from you this morning, and we surrender ourselves as being those who are able to be changed, that we're not stuck. Uh, we resist those lies, we resist uh, those past voices that tell us there's no hope or there's, we're just who we are, but Lord, that we can be changed. We can still be transformed. Whether we're a new creation, whether we're just checking out the things of God or whether we've been following you for years and years, all of us should hear the same message. 
that there is hope in Jesus Christ for change, that there is power through the Holy Spirit for change. And so, Lord, we hear that and we believe it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, John 4, the story of the Samaritan woman, what's happening, let me just kind of go over the narrative, that part of the story, because it's not really our focal point. But Jesus is traveling with the disciples, he's going along, and uh, they're passing through Samaria, which is uh, people who were kind of at odds, an ethnic group that was against, along with the Jews, they were kind of fighting against each other, even though they kind of lived in the same neighborhood. And so, as Jesus is passing through with the disciples, they get to a point where there's Jacob's well, and so it's this well from which the local communities would draw water from, and uh, Jesus waits there while the disciples go into town. So this well is located outside of the main town. And so Jesus waits there. The disciples go in to get some food in town. And while he's waiting there, a Samaritan woman is there and she's drawing water from this well. And so they strike up a conversation and it's kind of a a funny conversation. Uh, He starts by asking her for water. She says, why are you a Jew asking me, a Samaritan woman, for water? That breaks uh, cultural norms, uh, both because he's a male and also because he's a Jew. Uh, he shouldn't want to talk with her at all for a, a few different reasons, and those two being the, the most, uh, most prevalent ones, is that she's a Samaritan and she's a woman. So she asks, why do you want water, water for me? And, and Jesus comes back from, he says, he says, well, if you knew who it was was asking for a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water, right? Just, he just baits the conversation. I just love it. He just baits the conversation. And she goes, you don't even have anything to draw water from. And he's like, well, you know, I'm, it's a different water. It's living water. It's going to come up from within you. And, and so she says, I want that type of water. And his response to her is, okay, go get your husband, Again, just completely baiting the conversation. He tells her, go get your husband. She says, sir, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right, you've had five. And, and that dude you're living with now, he's not your husband, but you're living with him, right? What a setup. So, so he completely brings up this, this whole issue. And so she says, oh, I perceive you're a prophet, right? Let's get off my marital and my bad marriages and my relationship brokenness you know, she kind of skirts around it. Let's talk about worship. I see you're a prophet. My, my, her, my ancestors said that we would worship on, you know, Mount Moriah. Your, your uh, people, the Jews, say we're going to worship in Jerusalem. You know, so let's talk about worship now because I'm uncomfortable with this conversation about, about my life. And he says, you know, he goes in and he just says, listen, you know, those who are going to worship the Father are going to worship in spirit and truth. They're not going to worship on this mountain, that mountain. It's going to be just right where they're at. They're going to worship Him. And so she's just amazed at this interaction that's going on. Meanwhile, here come the disciples. They're back from town, and he's having this conversation with the woman that they didn't see happening before. They come upon it, and they're like, uh, same thing she asked. Why is he talking to a Samaritan woman? <laughs> they're talking amongst themselves like, this is awkward. You know, why why is he doing this? She runs on to town to tell them about this interaction she had with this man, Jesus, who said he's the Messiah and he's he's told her everything about her life. She's just amazed. So this is where we come into the story is the disciples come in with the food and they're thinking, okay, we don't know what this conversation was about, but we've got food, so let's just kind of move on. We're, We're on this journey 
and we're passing through Samaria. Let's, let's keep going. So John chapter 4, verse 31 through 38, here's, here's what the disciples then respond to him with. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. This is the portion that we really want to focus in on out of the story. As great as the first part of the story is, this, this part of Jesus' discussion with the disciples is loaded with something for us this morning. So, Jesus unveils the woman's heart without pretense or games, and the disciples come back, and Jesus uses a farming, a farming saying, kind of a colloquialism, just a, a saying of the day that they would be familiar with. He brings it up, and he turns it about how things work in the kingdom. He doesn't say, uh, he says, don't you have a saying, plant and then four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields they're ripe for harvest. That little saying nested right in there is so loaded because he's, under, he's giving them something that they're familiar with and something that they would expect to hear. In, in our terms, it would be something like, a penny saved is a penny earned, right? You familiar with that little saying? It's, it's like you, you delay gratification by putting aside your pennies and then you've earned that that money, you've, you're gonna, over the long term, you're going to have something that comes out of it. So this little saying that he's bringing up, you've heard it said four months and then the harvest. It's essentially like, do the hard work. You've got to sow. You've got you to wait and work it. And then you get to reap. Wait four months and then you get something out of it. It's kind of a sense of being responsible. You've got to sow. You've got to be patient. And then you reap. And then, and then all of a sudden he turns it, that whole saying that he's just spoken, he turns it on its head. He presents it to him about how the kingdom works. He has to help them relearn something they thought they already knew. They thought they could only reap what they had spent time doing. They thought they could only gather from something they had already spent time on. And Jesus said, that's not the ethic. That's not the, the way that kingdom finance works. That's not the way that are those good principles? Yeah, we see that in Scripture. You need to sow, and then you are going to reap. But he says, when it comes to the kingdom work, when it comes to the harvest and the work of God, he says, you're going to be able to reap stuff out of the kingdom of God that you never sowed into it. Now, I know just from saying that, I can tell some of you are like, is that right? Like, that seems like it violates, you know, aren't I supposed to be diligent and responsible and and I do the work, and then I wait a certain amount of time, and I spend time with somebody, and then, and then after a long period of time of having good relationships, then I get to see God's work in their life. And, and absolutely, generally speaking, that's a, that's a good principle that you, you do need to sow as well. You need to be patient for God's work. 
But Jesus is bringing up a different dynamic that doesn't work on our economy. He says, listen, there are things in the kingdom of God that you get to reap without ever sowing yourself. And the reason is, is God is at work in other people's lives. And other people are sowing and doing the hard work before you, and then it comes into your life, and you get to see God work right in that moment. The situation is, is this. The disciples are sitting there, and all they have in their mind is getting the food to Jesus and then continuing on their way, right? Not spending time with Samaritans. Not spending time out here waiting around. They're ready to do the work. They're ready to sow the seed of the kingdom of God. And here's Jesus. He receives the water from this woman. And he's having this ministry time, this kingdom encounter right in the moment. And he's experiencing the kingdom of God, the life of God, his Father's directive right there in the moment in a time where the disciples would say, this is wasted time. There's nothing here. We're moving on to where God's going to do work. We're, we want to move on to Jerusalem. We want to move into other more uh, abundant places, more people, more ministry can happen. And Jesus says, listen, he kind of uses the whole food discussion. He says, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> I, I got food already. The Father, it, it fills me up when I do His will, when I do His purposes. You think that Things only happen because you're working at them. He's saying, listen, I want you to hear this. Things happen because God is working on them. And you get to participate in it. You get to take part in that. The thought was that they could only reap what they had spent time sowing earlier. Jesus says, let me say it in the emphatic like he does. Jesus says, listen to me. Lift up your eyes now. Lift up your eyes. Stop looking around and wondering what we're having for lunch. Like you think everything is happening down the road or you're only going to get out of life what you've put into it. And he's saying the kingdom of God is not like that. The Father is at work. He says, I'm doing my Father's work. I'm filled up for it. The kingdom of God is now. It's happening. You want to look past this Samaritan woman. You want to look out of this place. You want to just keep moving on with your agenda for the day. And Jesus says, lift up your eyes The fields are ready now for harvest. God has something for you in this moment. It's not based on your actions four months ago, but it's what's already been sown. So let me present this idea, and I present it not from a posture of of trying, trying to make you feel bad about maybe a thought that you had, but just a promise, a way of thinking of something new. See it with these eyes. If you want to see revival, start living in one. If you want to see revival, start living in one. Not four months from now I get to experience it. Not if things had happened four months before I get to start experiencing it. If you want revival in your life, start living it. You get in on it right now. Now, start living in one. Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman, and she says, listen, worship is supposed to happen this way or that way. Jesus comes back to her with this. Yet a time, verse 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. She wants to get distracted. Well, this is the way that 
you know, spiritual things happen is worship on this mountain or in, the, in Jerusalem, in this place. And Jesus says, listen, we're getting distracted with all the side stuff, okay? You're worried about places. You're worried about performance. You're worried about, you know, using the right structures. So the right place for worship is inside of you. The right place for worship is you getting into it right now with the Father and not worrying about having the right format, the right, the right, everything being in place the right ways. The disciples come back after getting food, wondering why a Jewish male is talking to a Samaritan woman. There's no value in that. There's nothing good that could come out of that. So let's get him lunch and let's keep moving on. He says, listen, you don't even see the field that's in front of you. You don't even see what I'm doing right now. There's ministry that can happen. The field is ready because it's been sown by some people before you and through the Spirit of God. Here's, here's what we often say. Here's what I might be tempted to say. Revival will come someday when our meetings have longer song services. Revival will come someday when tongues and prophecy and healings are more prevalent in our services. Revival will come someday when we're doing 24-7 prayer and people are streaming into the building. That's when revival will come. Revival will come when all the churches are running food pantries and shelters and meeting the needs of the community. That then, then revival will come, etc. Fill in the blank. Think of all the ways that we say revival will come when, and then whatever structure or form has to be in place in order for revival to come. You want revival? I want revival? Start living in it. Start living in the revival that's available to you right now. Because if you're waiting for somebody else to bring revival to you, you'll never get in it. If you're waiting for a structure to exist where revival is pressed upon you, it's going to pass you up. Do you know that the major moves of God didn't happen out of existing services that were just impressing upon people? That was the after effect. Do you know how revivals came? The Azusa Street Revival, which the Foursquare Church, the Pentecostal movement was born out of, came out of, started with a prayer meeting in Topeka, Kansas from some college students. Why? They just wanted to live in revival. There was no great meetings. In fact, most people don't even know that because they always point to Azusa Street in California where the Holy Spirit came with great power and these meetings were... That was the byproduct of what happened before that. Those people were reaping something that had been sown in somebody else's prayer life and just their own revival that was taking place. You want to live in a revival? Don't wait for Azusa Street. You start living that revival right now. Start getting into it. Jesus is saying, look up. He's saying it to me, look up. You waiting for revival? You waiting for me to bring something and put it upon you? Or are you going to just engage in it right now? Are you just going to so fill up in my presence and in my spirit right now that I'm able to work in your life and you know what I'm saying and you know the work that I'm doing? Here's how Jesus could discern that that was a ministry opportunity with the woman. He listens to the Father. The disciples didn't see it and that's why he had to point it out to them. He said, listen, you just thought this was a day. We're getting lunch. We're traveling. He says, the harvest is now. The kingdom of God is upon you. 
and things are happening if you'll simply say, I'm in. I'm going to start looking at things differently than just another calendar day to mark off, another, another journey to, to go on. There are those who have gone before you, and there's the Holy Spirit who is forging a way ahead of you so that when you get to the next days, when you get to the coming weeks, it's not a question of if revival is there for you. It's, will you have already placed yourself at the point like Jesus did where you can hear it and be aware of it? Where you'll be ready for the ministry opportunity that comes upon you. You'll be ready to use the spiritual gifts that He's empowered you with. That you'll be ready to speak a good news message with a person who is more interested in talking about whether you're going to get water from the well and how you're going to do it. You'll hear from the Father about how to curb that, relation, that conversation into something more of a ministry. Listen, it's a new way of thinking about how we sow and how we reap. I am, I am no way saying that you shouldn't be sowing, <laughs> that you shouldn't be responsible, that you shouldn't be engaged in this idea of, I need, I need to have my, have this time where I'm investing into the kingdom and And recognize that it may not happen right away. Hear me on this, though. This is the other side of that equation that Jesus is presenting. That not everything that you reap is going to be out of your own hands. Some of you are looking to God to answer a prayer. And, you know, in some ways the enemy has told you, well, you don't get that because you haven't done X, Y, or Z ahead of time. So you don't get to receive out of the kingdom because you haven't been doing it right up to this point. Can I tell you that God just comes in certain situations and He just says, oh yeah, healing is available to you not because of your life, but because of those who have sown into the kingdom through prayer and ministry years before you and I ever showed up here. As a pastor, as an example... I'm not reaping the benefits of work that I've done over the past five years. I'm reaping the benefits of decades of people who have sown into the ministry here at New Horizons. I'm reaping the benefits of those who have gone before me. And all I did was show up and all of a sudden just say, here's what God wants to do. And he begins to work and act and do. Not because of what I've done. I've sown very little over the past five years compared to the decades of ministry that have gone on before me. So it is, hear me in this, so it is with you. You don't only get to reap what you've sown, you get to reap things that have been invested in the kingdom. And so I bring back up that question because I want this morning, I want us just to take some extended time in our response to this for prayer and invitation to this idea that if I really want to see revival in my life, what is revival? Let me, let me just touch on, on this. What is revival? Revival is where we continually, regularly see the move of God in our lives in ways that we wouldn't normally just by going about our own business. It's an intersection and it's what Jesus called out. He says, the kingdom of God is upon you. 
right? And he's, he's speaking that into the culture around him because they were waiting for the Messiah to come and usurp the powers of the Romans and then establish the kingdom, and then, and then revival was going to come. And Jesus comes in and he just says, you know, revival's here. In fact, the way that he speaks it to the Samaritan woman, a day is coming, ah, and has already come, where those who worship the Father will worship him in spirit and in truth. So what does revival mean? You're praying for, desiring a revival. I want to encourage you to think outside of tent meetings. I want to encourage you to think outside of even a certain type of church meeting. I want you to think in terms of different than how does it look out in the community and what happens and going back to any picture you might have of what does it look like here or there. I want you to look at Jesus. I want you to just focus in on who Jesus is. What does revival look like? It means spending time alone with God and discerning His voice from all the other voices that are trying to shape you. What does revival look like? It means surrendering yourself to the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and His way of doing things in your life instead of you maneuvering and holding on to control of things in your life and saying, well, I'm going to make this work. It doesn't seem to, but I'll figure out a way on my own because it doesn't seem like God is interested in helping me. Revival looks like the opposite of that, where you just come and say, Lord, I'm going to wait until you have an answer for me. Lord, I'm going to wait upon you to experience renewal in my own life and in my own thinking. Revival is that you think in ways not as you are imprinted upon, but in new ways according to the Word and according to the Spirit. Revival is you act in ways not as you are imprinted upon, but you're reshaped into the image of Jesus Christ and you live into His power and His authority. Amen? This passage as we prepare for our response time, this passage is one of those where Jesus is speaking to them and He's essentially saying, you've heard this saying or you have heard it said this way. But I want to tell you, start thinking a different way. My invitation this morning is that when we come to a response time and we ask God, is there an area of my life, God, where I've been praying that You would move me in some way to get me into a revival, that you would organize outside circumstances to help me then start living in a way that I experience the fullness of life that Jesus talks about. Lord, I want to just say, and this is, would be the perfect response of saying, Lord, I want to just say, revival starts with me. Lord, would you begin to work in my life where Confession and repentance is a regular part of my routine. Lord, would you can begin to work in my life where I don't say that I can't do something because somebody else isn't allowing me and excuse my actions because of the way that other people are behaving towards me, but I just say, Lord, I can rise above the interactions of other people, the way that people are treating me, and I can love my enemy. I can bless those who persecute me. 
Lord, I can live in a way that is completely countercultural to those around me. My desire for us as a church is that we will experience revival. But my vision of revival isn't that we'd have a big white tent out in our parking lot to house more people because we just can't keep them all inside the building here. We want to have tent meetings or, you know, different gatherings and God's working in that. That that would be great and fine. But listen, that doesn't denote to me, if you say, Pastor Andy, what does revival look like to you? I don't see a tent. (laughs) I, I honestly don't even see church meetings. I see you and I just living every day, waking up, sitting quietly in the presence of the Father, getting information from Him, getting life change from Him changing the way we would think about the life that we're about to step into. Then as I go into work, as you go into your places of school or work or uh, stores and, and merchants, that you're so full of the Spirit of God that you have a conversation with a, with a Delta woman. <laughs> what does a Grand Junctionite and a Deltaite <laughs> have in common that we should have this conversation but why? You're discerning what God is doing and you just strike up this conversation, right? Because God wants to do something in, in that person's life. You begin to speak about the kingdom of God in their life. That your first thought, and I don't presume that it is your first thought, but your thought isn't, I wish Pastor Andy was here because he would know what to say to this person. Your first thought is, my Heavenly Father can give me exactly what I need to say to this person in this moment. He can give me a scripture to pass along to them. He can help me in praying for this individual. Well, I tell you what, my mind just goes places with revival. That's what revival looks like. Instead of having one meeting where there's certain structures and everybody comes into that meeting and then those who come forward get ministered to, it's where a couple hundred people each week go out into the community and each one of them is living a revival and it's affecting all the people around them. There's 200 plus revivals going on around our community just because every one of you is experiencing that. I love that vision. And then we get together and we talk about how God has worked in our lives and what He's done and the healing that He did here and the the word of knowledge He gave me about this situation, the scripture that I was able to share with somebody and how He's renewing us from the inside out. Listen, folks, that's revival. You want to live in it? Let's start living one. We want to experience it? Let's start doing this together. And so in our response this morning, if you would join me in standing... We're going to sing a couple worship songs, and as we do, while I was speaking, if you just had this sense of like, you know, I kind of been in this place, God, where I've been waiting for you to move upon me in order for me to experience the abundant life of Christ, for me to experience the fullness of all that you have for me. I keep kind of being in this place of, well... God will just move me when He's ready. And as I was speaking, you just sensed that the Holy Spirit was directing it right to you and just kind of, you know what? Start being proactive. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to start spending regular time with me in the Word. 
I want you to start praying for the people that I bring across your mind or even your pathway. I want you to take that bold step of instead of just saying, well, I'll say a prayer for you, just pause right there and just start praying for that individual. However awkward it may feel to you at that, at that moment. But you just see ways, the Holy Spirit just starts downloading to you ways that you can start living in this revival that He has for you. I think that's the response time that I feel encouraged each of us can take. And this isn't something for those who would just say, well, yeah, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a minister. Listen, the the disciples of Jesus were men who were tax collectors and fishers. They had all these other occupations, and they just called him rabbi, teacher. They said, we'll just follow you and learn from you. We'll, We'll learn from what you do. We'll disciple after your way. And that's what he's calling you to do, regardless of what your profession is, your vocation. He's just saying, listen, follow after me. Say the things that I say. Do the things I do. And you're going to start experiencing that personal revival. So in your response, if you feel prompted, you just say, you know, I've been kind of passive in my approach to experiencing revival. I've been waiting for it to happen out there instead of seeing it happen in my own life. I want to encourage you to step forward or either, either come forward while people to pray or, or go to back to our prayer room and people will pray with you of let's begin to do this. God would begin to help you set aside the time needed to be with him. He would, you would have the willingness and the obedience to follow through on the Holy Spirit's promptings when he encourages you to do something. And so that response time can, can really be that. You just submit yourself to, again to his lordship and just say, Lord, Help me start living out the revival that you have for me personally and that it would just spread to those around me, but it begins with me. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it shapes us, that it changes us. And so, Lord, I want to begin just with my own admitting that, Father, sometimes I'm looking outward for the revival to come instead of inward for it to be rivers of living water flowing out of me. Lord, sometimes that, that mindset that I've had has been looking to you. I'm looking to heaven. I'm looking to you. And Lord, I just sense often you're looking at me. You're looking at us. You're saying, lift up your eyes. The fields are white. Lift up your eyes. The kingdom of God is upon you. We just simply need to start living in it. <laughs> the healing is there. We need to start walking it out and praying for it, receiving it. The transformation of our lives from broken to whole is right there. We just need to start meditating and soaking upon the Word of God and the Spirit of God and help it change us from the inside out. The change in our relationships is right there. We just need to walk in humility. need to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. And bring the kingdom to each of our relationships and see healing come. And so, Lord, we give you this time. It's our response to your word. It's our profession that we want to see revival. And so, it's the recognition that it begins with us. we got to start living it. I have to start living like I want it. And so, Father, give us that ability to discern your voice and pursue you and follow you as we live out what you have for us. Amen.